Welcome to this podcast from Field Partner International. This is one of a series of interviews posted on our website and YouTube channel, where we will hear from experienced missionaries sharing stories and insights from their journeys. We are an online community and resource for Christian missionaries working across cultures. You can visit our website, fieldpartner.org, which features free video courses, blogs, podcasts, sermons, and more. Subscribe to this channel, our YouTube channel, or Facebook page to stay updated on our latest resources. Hello, I'm Christine Patterson from Field Partner, and I'm a lifelong cross-cultural missions worker and trainer. And I want to invite you today to um, listen to this interview with Pete Askew. Pete had a stint doing overseas missions when he was a lot younger, but currently he's working full-time in a multicultural context right here in the UK. His official title is Operations Manager for the Antioch Network Manchester, an Anglican initiative which plants churches in ethnically diverse communities and on housing estates across the Diocese of Manchester. I might also add that Pete is an old friend, though we haven't actually met face to face for what, 25 years? At least, yeah, yeah, at least. Ross and I knew him when he was growing up in York, where his parents and we were involved in planting a church together now known as Gateway Church in Aiken. Right, let's jump into our interview today. Thanks so much, Pete, for agreeing to be interviewed. It's a pleasure. Why don't you start by introducing yourself and your family? Okay, um, so you've already kind of explained a little bit about how we know each other. Um, I was, I think, three years old when the, the church was uh, started, which um, you and Ross and my parents and an another founding family began. Um, so that's that's 1980, I think, if my maths is correct. So we've known each other for uh, a long time, but uh, obviously you've been in the Far East for a huge amount of time. Um, I've lived outside of York for a, a long a long while now. Um, I'm married to Liz and uh, and we have got two kids together. We met in Leicester when she was studying law. And I was studying communications degree. Um, and she was uh, first year, I was the second year. And after graduating, um, we moved to East Manchester, um, where we've lived for 20 years now. And so during that time, we've, we've um, initially moved there to get involved with the youth work, Christian youth work initiative um, on quite a tough housing estate. Some we can come on to perhaps in a little bit. And uh, we've also done a ton of different paid jobs. We've helped to plan two churches and we've got two kids now. Uh, Sam is the eldest, who's currently 11, and Ruth is 10. So um, um, a little bit about me. Great. Um, and so how come you landed up in Manchester in the end? Oh, no, well, let's come on to that in a minute. I wanted to say you, have, um, you were raised in a fairly monocultural city. Mm and um, or at least it was then, I don't know if it still is. So where do you think your interest in working cross-culturally came from? And how come you landed up in Manchester in the end? Yeah, it's um, really good questions. Um, and it's a bit difficult, a bit complicated uh, by way of answer. Um, I'll give you a few examples. Um, so even though York uh, was, and to a certain extent still is quite, um, quite white British, and there's lots of people from different parts of the UK, there's not a huge amount of people from overseas. Um, a, a few surprises are in there now, though there are 
some Cubans, some people from Barbados, some people from Nigeria who you might not necessarily associate with York, uh, who've settled for various reasons. Um, but growing up uh, in the uh, in the 80s and early 90s, um, it was very monocultural. And there was a little kind of enclave of people from abroad, primarily connected to York University. And there were a lot of people uh, from the Far East in particular who were doing postgrad degrees, masters and PhDs, often very, very highly specialized, very smart people. But apart from the university connection, they had no real connection with the wider community of York. And, and then if you throw in language barriers and other cultural things, it was quite an isolating experience for them. Um, and I don't really know how my parents found this out, but they did. And they ended up setting up this thing called Friends of the Chinese, which was a very sort of informal association that allowed they, they hosted a lot of meals and they had music and a bit of gospel stuff as well and i remember this um this guy he was actually from uh taipei um eli and he was not convinced about god at all he had these questions um they did kind of alpha stuff as well growing when i was growing up and um he became a christian and his his mother was furious because she was a devout buddhist and um my parents still have on their notice board in their house um, a picture of his mother on her day when she was baptized as a Christian. It was a really exciting story. And so I, I think that's probably the first influence in terms of cross-cultural stuff. Secondly, um, I studied French and did some kind of social science stuff when I was um, studying sort of 16 to 18 years old. And when I went to university, I studied quite a lot of broad stuff. Um, it might not sound like it hangs together in one subject, but in amongst other things I studied, Soviet propaganda, French postmodernism, and things like Noam Chomsky, his analysis of American war reporting in the Middle East and Vietnam. So this kind of really sort of broadened my kind of sense of what was going on in the world. Not that I agreed with everything that I read by any stretch. And the third reason would be, in the church that you and Ross helped to plant, we had an itinerant Christian speaker who came to visit and he had a prophecy for the young people in the church uh, of which I was one. And he said, loads of you are going to end up going abroad and doing some kind of mission work. And I don't believe that prophecy in the biblical sense of the phrase is like a kind of fatalistic thing it's like a call into which you might choose to step in uh, you might run away like Jonah did um, rather unsuccessfully. But anyway, we kind of heard that call. And so my friend Steve was the first person to go from our church um, of that generation on a kind of short term mission trip with uh, YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And he loved it. And he ended up meeting the, the love of his life and they married and kids in America now amazing story but um, I think I was the second of several to go on these short-term mission trips and uh, they were quite life-changing and um, I went to South Africa age 17 for a month I went to Northern Ireland for about a week and a half completely different experience in Belfast and in Cape Town and um, I, I spent a, sh a medium-term course at, um, doing a course called Disagraphy uh, Training School with YWAM um, in West Africa, Ghana, Togo and Benin, uh, mostly French-speaking countries. And so that was aged about 18 and that was really life-changing. Um, 
I felt less like being less a tourist and more like I was being immersed into someone else's culture. And what it did was strip off a lot of the kind of cultural baggage of what I thought was Christianity and to see that expressed in a very different but very legitimate way. I think in particular it gave me quite an appreciation of um, uh, African Christianity but also just a bit more of awareness of other cultures and other ways of looking at the world. Yeah. So I don't know, does that answer your question? Yeah. Well, except for the bit about how you landed up in Manchester. Oh yes, sorry, quite, quite right. Um, yeah, so the, this is where it gets um, uh, interesting in a way because the next phase of that was when Liz and I were, um, were dating, we had to decide whether or not we were sort of compatible enough, whether we had different visions of, you know, the future. And in the end, we both felt called to come and get involved in a very specific initiative on a housing estate, which was actually a very white British area at the time, um, with a, a thing called Eden. And um, so we did, and we, we moved, and it was quite a tough area. There was a lot of antisocial behaviour, there was a lot of crime, quite a lot of issues around drugs and so on. Um, and there's no obvious connection with anything to do with Africa or cross-cultural cross stuff, except um, there really was a, a kind of, a, in a different way just engaging with people who just see life very differently even though they are also white British primarily or white Irish and um, dealing with people from traveler communities from time to time for example um, and what's happened in Manchester is, is like London like Birmingham and lots of other places the world is on our doorstep now and East Manchester where we are a place called Openshaw and Gorton next door very much has become not just so much white British, but also African. And so I could experience a load of cross-cultural stuff by going back to Ghana and Benin and Togo, and that would be good and perfectly, you know, right. But I can also just walk out my front door because it's just there. Primarily Nigerian um, families and people have settled where we are. And so there's a sense in which some of this has all come together. Um, two of my pastor friends who are local to us um, are from Zimbabwe and, and Nigeria. So there's become an increasing kind of mix across all parts of the city now, which mean that there's all sorts of opportunities for cross-cultural uh, mission and engagement in, our, in this country where, you know, where I was born. Right. So looking at the website for the Antioch Network, which again, I'll put the link below, it looks like quite a vibrant work. So what drew you to that in particular? I don't think that's been going very long, has it? Um, no, just a few years. Um, yeah. Um, what do you find most exciting about being part of that? Um, I think in some ways it's the mixture of the two things. They have a, what we call a, a diverse side and, a, and an estate side. So having had about 20 years experience of church plant stuff, on a housing estate in Manchester, um, you, you know, that one of the, sorry, two of the trustees felt I might have some useful experience to bring to the table, which is why they invited me to apply for the job as ops manager. And they were looking for someone who was more than just an administrator. Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, what it was like to plant a church in a kind of tough urban area. Um, and then the other side, uh, on, on a diverse side, you know, it was interesting because some of those things from my experiences when I was a bit younger and um, spending a bit more time abroad 
um, it feels like that kind of has come a bit full circle for me. And it's been really interesting to see, um, you know, people on on that side in in the diverse church plants who are from, you know, Pakistan and India, and also uh, there's Nepalese missionary couple who want to join one of our church plants in Rochdale, and they speak um, Hindi, so that opens up all sorts of opportunities for evangelism. I guess all of that's interesting to me, really, and it it just felt like it was the right time when the chance came to come and work for Antioch. Right, so it sounds like um, one of the values among the leadership is to have people with cross-cultural experience. Would, but would that be true of most of them? Um, yeah, so it's definitely a, uh, an important thing, it, it, obviously, especially on the diverse side. Um, Jason is our Gorton Church planter, and he, he, he has launched a kind of, initially at least, it's a kind of house church and that's it in East Manchester. He spent about 15 years in Mauritania as a missionary. So he was working with uh, mostly uh, Fulani um, uh, herds people. And so it was a very dangerous thing. Uh, if anyone knows anything about Northern Nigeria would know that there's been a lot of violence towards Christians in Northern Nigeria, sometimes by um, various Islamist groups, sometimes by Fulani herdsmen, and he was reaching people. So it was dangerous for them to become a Christian. Uh, it was really interesting cross-cultural work. And then Reverend John Brett, um, he's our diverse director. He spent about a similar amount of time in Mauritania and in Sudan, involved in missionary and NGO work. So it's, that that's definitely helps because they speak Arabic. They very well. Um, and interestingly we're now in a situation in the north and east of the city where we need to look at more of a hybrid of estate and diverse because places that were traditionally white british now have a lot of africans and so we're having to look at whether or not we can we, we kind of have these two prototypes of church plants and and we need to have a look at how we might do something that's sort of in the middle between the two right so, um, again, from the website, it looks like prayer is a major thing. And um, I've just noticed that it seems to be an unusual way round for you to be the interviewee, because it looks like you're the one who normally does the interviewing. Um, so is that something that really underpins everything? Or is it something that the interview and the prayers online that you've been doing, is that more of what you've done in response to lockdown? Um, yeah, I think the answer is both. Um, so you know, the kingdom advances, uh, just so much of it is just through prayer. And, you know, the idea of inviting somebody to come and lay down their entire life and follow somebody they can't see, it's a pretty radical call and it's a good one, but it is a big change for people. And so, um, like in any context and um, with any uh, ministry or church or, or Christian, it's a, it's a big deal. So without prayer, these things just don't happen. Um, but in some ways, um, that seems even more the case when it comes to reaching people who may be from a Muslim background, for example, or maybe just lives completely messed by addiction. Um, so um, we have, um, that's been a, a priority before lockdown and it will, it is during and it will certainly be afterwards. However, you're absolutely right that um, the way that we gathered for prayer was just not possible 
um, for a huge period of time. So we'd had this discussion as a network about how we can try and facilitate prayer across the network and beyond um, and to pray into these different things. And we, we experimented with different different ideas and um, we did quite a lot of uh, a traditional Anglican um, liturgy um, kind of the night prayers thing and we just would just film somebody kind of going through the liturgy and would put it online and um, you know that did okay for a while and then it came a point when we were looking at other sort of online formats and I was speaking with one of the directors and we just felt that we needed more interaction and the stories and people are just it's such a powerful thing so we we kind of developed this format where we'd have three questions uh, broadly speaking something like this what's life like for you during lockdown where do you see God at work in a neighborhood where you're doing life and ministry and how can we pray for you and the church that you represent mm -hmm. so we kind of through that and um, uh, we spoke with people from across different church plants uh, ones that haven't yet started but are planned ones that are already in existence and it was really it just fascinating to do um, and great fun and one of the best parts of the job for me so far and um, we even got to interview um, a guy whose family is heavily involved in Antioch who's actually worked for about six to nine months and um, before starting uni on a refugee camp called uh, in a place called Moria on the Greek island of Lesbos working with Afghans working with um, people from Eritrea and all sorts um, and he, he saw God do some amazing stuff there. So I got to interview him whilst he was in Greece. And that was just fascinating. It was really, um, really amazing just to hear what, what God's doing in different places. And we basically used the, the YouTube videos to say, look, if you're watching this, join with us in praying for this person, mm -hmm. for the place they're working in. Fantastic. And uh, so during lockdown, um, I watched an, an interview that you did with Emily, little young young Emily, mm, sixteen. Yeah. You say she was only sixteen, um, or she's uh, anyway still at school. But she said um, that you know she was finding it hard not to be able to do the normal outreaches during lockdown, but she was um, still able to smile and engage with people. And I love that as a sort of you know the, the friendliness being the thing that was <clears throat> Berlin. Um, so I'm just wondering. I mean, were there other ways in which you could practically do do things? Um, as a network for people who maybe had lost their jobs or other things just to reach out during the pandemic? Um, yeah, so on, on the point of uh, friendliness, as definitely um, Emily, who I, I interviewed um, for the Our Prayer channel, she was, I think, absolutely right. You know, in context, uh, there are people who are escaping. I was reading this week about, I think it's Eritrea, where there's enforced military service for men aged 18 to 50 and it can go on for years <laughs> and then there's people who just i can't do this for any longer so they're leaving and some people obviously escaping a war zone escaping some really horrendous political instability and so on and if they end up arriving somewhere like the uk and they're welcomed by friendly christian people in the name of jesus and um, that is a wonderful opportunity for witnessing. And um, as far as practical things, yeah, there were quite a lot of limits to what we could do and what we still can do. Greater Manchester has gone back into a more intense lockdown uh, in the last week or so. And we can't visit other households in Greater Manchester, for example. And um, Rochdale 
has um, had quite high cases of COVID. So there've been fewer practical things we've been able to do. Um, and with the church that I'm part of and that I, I lead in my spare time, we've been involved in, in really just kind of giving money to people where it was needed. And sometimes the food banks, people who are really just were connected with in some way. And what we found was the need kept rotating different places. And um, so I think in that case, it kind of, it forces you to focus on what you can do and not to stress too much on what you can't. But there were, there were opportunities to serve people for sure. And Antioch has obviously got a bias towards the poor and people on the margins. Um, and things like um, our recovery group in Bolton for people who are trying to throw off hurts, habits and hang-ups are holding them back, that all of those moved online so that people could continue to get the support that they need um, if they're trying to, th you know, to stay clean of alcoholism or drug, whatever it might be. And um, so th th some of that service has sort of continued. We just had to do it in a different way. Okay, another thing I notice on the network site is the um, strong emphasis on training, mm. mostly leadership training. But um, you personally have done some of our courses on Field Partner. So I wondered whether that was because you also felt there might be a need for people who are doing involved in that kind of a community work um, amongst cultures um, actually to do some cross-cultural training. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's sort of self-evident if someone's going to get on a plane and go to another country um, as a missionary that they would need some cross-cultural training, some kind of orientation on arrival and prep, maybe language stuff. Um, but this is increasingly important for people living and ministering in, in their, their own home countries um, where the world is on our doorstep. Um, you know, I can't remember who it was, a, a I think it was a politician got into trouble recently for saying that London's not really England. Um, and people were sort of assuming that, that were, there was sort of casual racism, but it, it's sort of true. It, it's just, it's like the world on the doorstep. And given that that's the case in London and Manchester, Birmingham, lots of other places, even places you wouldn't expect, fishing villages that have got people from Eastern Europe and you know all of that, with that being the case, um, that cross-cultural stuff is important here. And um, so I, um, I, I actually took the um, Crossing Cultures 101 that you produced, really, really good. I particularly love the point about the last culture that you really see as your own. Um, and uh, yeah, that really resonated with me. Um, so I would highly recommend cross-cultural training um, for people who are ministering in kind of multicultural context as well as who are going abroad, not least because we don't know what our own assumptions are. And um, uh, one of my favorite guys um, uh, in terms of influences is Tim Keller. And he tells this story um, in one of his talks that um, an African-American friend of his just said to him once, the problem with white people is, <laughs> so it sounds a really dangerous statement. He said, well, white Christians, you don't think you have a culture. You don't think you're doing something in a white way. You just think it's the way. <laughs> and it's sort of brutal, but th there's probably some truth in that, those unchecked assumptions for which they need unpicking sometimes. And so some of that cross-cultural training, I would highly recommend anyone who's perhaps not that familiar with field partner, I would highly recommend that they, they do some of these courses because they're really good. 
Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> well, thank you, Pete, for sharing your story. Um, it's given us a lot of food for thought, especially the challenge that for all of us, the world is on our doorstep now. And um, it could be as simple as just crossing the street for you to start engaging with um, another culture. The Bible tells us to welcome strangers in our midst. And um, so with people coming from all over the world right here, I think we have that challenge. And um, so I just want to say thanks again for the interview and find out more about the Antioch Network too. But that's it for today. And I look forward to seeing you all in the next interview. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Field Partner. You can watch or listen to more interviews by subscribing to this channel, our YouTube channel, or our Facebook page. For free cross-cultural mission courses, blogs, sermons, and other resources, visit our website, fieldpartner.org.